get things started with how to survive the modern world or Gen X isn't just a fashion statement presented by Tribe74.com. Rob, how's it going, buddy? Well, I'm a little stiff and sore. Uh, <laughs> and I want to thank you for that because I'm pretty sure it's because you oh. dragged me out to uh, to go for a small little hike and jam me into crevasses and awkward positions within uh, the let's rocky just stop face. right there. We we went we went for a hike and went to do photography. Just oh to yes. be clear, it was sounding kind of bad. I thought I would stop you before it, it got worse. Well, being crammed into crevices or crevasses. Oh, let, let, let's have a quick chat about that for a second. Crevasse or crevice? I don't know. I, I'd say crevasse, but I, I don't think there's anything wrong with crevice. I grew up, I grew up uh, you know, on Dungeons and Dragons, and I think you did as well. And yeah. uh, I always called it a crevice because you... you, you ultimately always came across a crevice in your adventures yeah yeah no but like i when i think of specifically more uh, a crevasse is the way that i would think of it is that it's often like a, a drop down in amongst the snow it's a big like a big winding cave sort of thing out in the out in the mountains in the in the snow fields i, th I think it's just a way for you hiking nerds to fancy it up a bit and make it sound like it's french or something like that and i think it oh, is, it's, actually. A crev it's a crevasse hold my hold my gray poupon while i go into the crevasse my gray poupon and my my crackers hey oh. <laughs> i need you to hold my how you say special meats uh, i'm going out for what? a smoke <laughs> Wait, <what? laughs> well that took the auteur and you're getting on me about my description of how uh, we you forced me to go for a hike and put my body in danger and risk right no it was an awesome awesome yeah. day of photography yes out on the bruce trail out there for hours didn't see a single soul yeah i mean and definitely didn't bring one with us because neither you or i have souls uh, no, no. <laughs> so. yes it was a soulless adventure it was definitely a soulless adventure. Hey, before we get into the show, the, the the meat of the show, you have a chance to watch the new Spider-Man trailer? No. Is it out? When, when did it drop? It dropped yesterday. A big event, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in North America. How's nobody told me about this today? Uh, you know what? I probably should have messaged you, but I never even thought about it. I yeah, just like, you just assumed that I would have known. Well, you should have. I mean, what okay, kind of pop culture okay. guru are you? Stop listening now. I'm yeah. not who you want to listen to. <laughs> Maybe Rob well, can get somebody on the show that he knows what's going on in the pop culture world. Well, well, I mean, in interestingly, why is a trailer so exciting? I mean, it, it's interesting to, that trailers nowadays have like a release date and time and tune in for this trailer yeah they just want to get you all hyped up but generally you know generally they make them really good and mm. get you excited about about the movie like for example like the last james bond one was on for months before the movie was actually coming out and you could really couldn't turn on your phone without seeing one but i had to watch 
almost every single one because I thought the trailer was that good. Exactly, exactly. Now, how good, is, how, how, how good is the Spider-Man trailer? It's it's pretty decent. I think it it uh, it's filled a lot of the rumors. It, it shut down a lot of the rumors. Maybe it certainly added a lot more questions, and there was a lot of discussion at the shop today. So, yeah, I think all it I did want, what it's supposed to do. All I want is I want a lot of web slinging. I want them to be uh, shooting through the city, swinging back and forth between buildings. As long as it has that, oh, you got me. I'm sure it has that and a lot more. So speaking of hype. On top of all that, well, I mean, just this past week, uh, we had a bunch of hype from Disney Plus in celebration of their, I don't know, was it their one-year, two-year anniversary? I don't know what it was. I guess it's their, probably their two-year anniversary. And that kind of brings us to our topics for the day. What do we got on the show today, Rob? Well, basically, the Disney Plus hype surrounding, uh, well, the the few of the releases on Disney Plus that happened under the helmet the legacy of Boba Fett. I'm going to talk about that. Jungle Cruise. And, well, of course, the movie we've been waiting for because we're too cheap to go out to the theaters. Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. Oh, yes. You know what? I knew that I've been sitting there waiting for Jungle Cruise to come out forever. And I was so surprised when, like, Shang-Chi and the Legend of Ten Rings just left the theaters. And I'm surprised that they put it onto Disney Plus as quickly as they did i honestly thought we were probably two months away from seeing that movie out uh, on disney plus yeah i think uh, i had heard originally before they decided to do it on uh, the disney plus day the the celebration day it was supposed to be out almost i think it was just a couple weeks after the theatrical release so they're going to kind of still be streaming it simultaneously with the release and you know do that whole disney premium where you'd have to pay for it but yeah I guess this time they decided, you know what? No, everybody can watch it. You know, you're paying for the channel. Everybody can watch it, but we're going to make you wait a little longer so that we can do it on this special occasion day. Mm, very cool. No, like, I mean, Shang-Chi, I probably, I would have paid the, the, the fee to actually watch that. Yeah. Made my own popcorn, of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I may have had to join you or we could have hosted it here in my shop. Yeah. My, big screen tv yeah no i actually i was so surprised to see everything else that dropped as well too there you had tons of short films that were that were on there and that's what's got us talking about under the helmet the legacy of boba fett tonight but 100 like there was just tons of cool stuff well there was i uh what let's make this brief i mean uh you know we can talk about all we want about uh, disney plus day because everybody knows that we love disney plus because we're constantly promoting it without uh, any kind of uh, sponsorship or income yeah, that's cool that's cool uh, yeah what uh, would you say is your favorite that we're not talking about tonight oh god now now i actually have to bring up the list well i'll, I'll throw one in there it'd have to be baymax i don't know if you'd seen the uh, trailer for baymax i guess it's gonna be a series featuring the uh the big fat robot from um big hero six yeah 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 uh big hero six is one of my favorite all-time disney films in regards to animated features and uh, i'm just really excited to, to see the baymax series and how that plays out because uh, it looks quirky and cute Oh, and, very cool. Yeah. And speaking of which, Under the Helmet, The Legacy of Boba Fett. Let's get into it. Hey, why not? What did you think? I absolutely... Okay, so this was made for me. <laughs> I am the people that they were talking about it. I am the Boba Fett fanatic. Ever since he hit the screen, 1983, I didn't see... and. 
we learned, I guess, in the show, and I, I should have known, I'd, I'd heard about it before. I'm a big Star Wars buff, if anybody who's listening didn't know. I love Star Wars, no matter what they do, no matter how crappy it might be. But Boba Fett originally appeared before the movies in a cartoon special, and I had forgotten about that, and it's a terrible, terrible cartoon special. It mm-hmm. just really bad animation and stuff, but I am the guy that saw him in 1983 as a child and absolutely fell in love with it. Oh, whoa, did I just say 1983? 1981, or was it 1980? Oh my God, I'm getting old. I don't know the year. When the Empire Strikes Back hit, I was the guy that fell in love with it. (laughs) (laughs) That year. That That year. year. That year. What I found very interesting, so they talked about the release of the Boba Fett figure. And now I was never lucky enough to have one, but <laughs> one of my yeah, one of my friends had saved up the tabs from the back that you had to cut out from the, the back of the, the packaging and had sent them in and got his Boba Fett. Very and nice. what I didn't realize was that when they sent them out, they talked about in the, the show how it actually didn't shoot the missile launcher on his back and how they sent out an apology letter along with it and saying, oh, well, you know, if you don't like it, send it back and we'll give you a new one. We'll give you a like, new random figure. Yeah, exactly. Like, who would send them back? Well, I think that the the big deal was the fact that he actually was supposed to have a projectile rocket shooting out of his backpack. And, you know, obviously... Back then, they were just starting to take children seriously and, you know, prevent children from eating paint and shooting each other in the eyeballs with uh, all the various toys that we had back then that could do that. So I guess uh, that was their way of, uh, you know, making sure that they didn't lose all the fabulous money that they lo- or that they made from star wars marketing and merchandising by being sued a million times by all the people who jabbed boba fett's missile projectile into one of their orifices Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i and you mentioned the cartoon earlier i had totally forgotten about it right totally forgotten about it until that came up yeah it was uh i don't remember when it when i had first discovered it it was a few years back and when I had found out about it, I was actually pretty excited and I went and tried to find it. And I, I'm pretty sure I downloaded it or it was available on YouTube or somewhere it was available and I watched it and I was like, it's kind of underwhelming. It was kind of cool to see, but at the same time, it's kind of underwhelming. Mm-hmm. But the story behind the creation of Boba Fett was what I found most interesting. And I'm a huge fan of concept art and I love concept artists and stuff. And one of my yep. favorites of all time was Ralph McQuarrie, who designed a lot of Star Wars. Right. A lot of the behind-the-scenes Star Wars. And I believe it was also Joe Johnston, who also was one of the creators and lead designers. And how Boba Fett was originally supposed to be part of a legion of troopers who you know, was going to, we're going to be hired by the empire, but then budget cuts came in and on the fly, George Lucas had just said, Nope. Uh, one guy. And uh, that costume you used a uh, concept. You're That's going to use that. <laughs> You're using that. <laughs> and let's just make him a bounty hunter. Shall we? Yeah. Let's take it. And then, you know, he was part of the whole menagerie of bounty hunters that Darth Vader talks to. Uh, I don't remember if it was on the Death Star. No, I guess the Empire Strikes Back. So it wasn't on the Death Star, but it was on a Star Destroyer. And, Boba Fett, despite there being like, I think it was like six or seven bounty hunters all up on the, uh, up on this big screen, Boba Fett was the one that stuck with everybody. Mm-hmm. There's something about, about that character. It was even crazy when they 
sent Darth Vader and Boba Fett down to be part of a parade. And at that point, Boba Fett had never been seen. Nobody knew who he was, but they knew that he was with Darth Vader and he was a new character. That's and, right. and how much attention he was getting. Yeah, I mean, people, obviously, Darth Vader was like a phenomenal and fantastic character that everybody loved. But then to see this really cool looking space bad guy or badass obviously and people thought this guy looks cool we want to get autographs of him or we want to get pictures with him and i would love to see and i, I should have done some research and, and looked into it and just seen if maybe there are pictures of you know the kids or from the parents of the kids or whatever back then getting their pictures with boba fett and to see hey you got to meet boba fett before he was famous yeah <laughs> he even signed his autographs boba fett even though he wasn't actually a real human but <laughs> no i loved uh really loved the show it was it was very well put together it was great to get a little bit of the kind of behind the scenes of the creation of boba fett how boba fett came to be and such an icon from the movie considering how many lines he actually had yeah i think what was it four lines in the entire yeah something like that universe <laughs> like uh, uh, of the the trilogy movies anyway yeah uh, hilarious and then i mean but star wars always had this way of like taking a character that is like a really popular character and just kind of like put them in oh this is gonna be an awesome character and then they just kind of smear them or give them the most unceremonious death yeah. like if you look at like boba fett being sent into the sarlacc pit or darth maul being cut in half and and the funny thing is like you know somebody like darth maul or captain phasma from the more modern uh, releases how they were like they were part of the marketing campaign right so you've seen like pictures of captain phasma's silver stormtrooper helmet and or um darth maul was plastered all over the posters and all that stuff and then they're like unceremoniously destroyed within you know an hour of film time or a couple hours of film time yeah and it's pretty silly but at the same time those characters still leave a lasting legacy just by how they look really mm -hmm. very cool i really enjoyed it so you said you never had a a boba fett action figure nope i did and i cherished it and he was pretty awesome and one of my favorite toys i had a huge selection of star wars action figures mm -hmm. and this is recently even and i'm not i'm not going to promote my uh, my friend's shop but i had the opportunity to uh help him sell some toys so i did all the photography and pricing for his all the toys that they had in the shop and uh well i had a huge selection of something like a 100 star wars action figures and in there yeah. was Bo boba fett and that oh, was actually so cool i had it in now, my was hand it, Sorry, was it the original action figure oh, or no it, it was it was the original i like so from the 19 uh well the, the kenner releases from the original movies the original right. trilogy so they you know they had like this mint condition princess leia which is super valuable and these weren't in the packages they were all loose but they all had their weapons and stuff it was just pretty cool to sit there and you know and i had most of these figures i'm thinking oh these are cool these are cool but when i found the boba fett i'm like yeah this is awesome this is why i loved action figures back so in the what day. does a boba fett go for nowadays I think this one i don't remember what i priced it at uh you put me on the spot here but i'm pretty sure i put it at like about 50 dollars, and that's like loose it was in really good condition like it looked good and but played uh, with i think it was more of one of those ones that it was more of a display piece cool um so it was just it just wasn't in the package anymore so that really decreases the value of toys right if they're not in their original packaging 
I know, but I, I, you know what? I'm one to to take toys out of the package. I, you, you and me both. You and me both. Yeah, I, I want, I want to play. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll forward you the picture uh, if you're interested that I took of it. And uh, I just, I was just so, it was just so exciting to sit there and and having, you know, like a giant little, well, not a giant little. How does that make sense? A, a photo booth that I could like put the figures in and you know have like a really nice setup and take photos of these awesome figures that I remember having as a kid. Very nostalgic. Yeah, very nostalgic and lots of fun. And unfortunately, uh, way out of my budget to be uh, spending on toys. Yeah, I have exactly. enough toys and collectibles that I need to. Uh, <laughs> now, speaking of nostalgic, what did you think of Jungle Cruise? So at first I was, uh, I was sitting there going, is Jungle Cruise based on a ride at the Disney theme park? And because I was sitting there, I've been to Disney twice in my in. Yeah, my life, but I was really young, so like four, four years old and mm-hmm. eight years old, and I seem to remember a Jungle Cruise because I, I even try. Oh to yeah, it. no, it, there, there is. Okay, so I think you've been more recently. Yeah, I've I mean, only been once to Disney itself in Florida, and yes, there is the the Jungle Cruise ride, and that is what it's based on. Yeah, so at first I was like. Okay, if it is based on that, I don't know how I feel about that because I don't know if you'd ever seen Haunted Mansion, which was also based on a Disney ride mm-hmm. with uh, Eddie Murphy. I think was starred in that movie, and I love yeah, Eddie Murphy, but ago. yeah, I love Eddie Murphy, but the movie was kind of trash, and so I was a little worried about this one. And but then you know I saw The Rock. Oh, I lost my page there. Emily Blunt, who I absolutely adore. You know these are both actors, great actors. The Rock sometimes comes across a little cheesy, and uh, so I was a little worried but then i saw emily blunt i said oh emily blunt she does always does awesome stuff and so watching this and it's basically the story of all these uh, a race to find the uh what was it the name of the um the arrowhead no they had the arrowhead but no, they were trying she, to... yeah she had the arrowhead or right. she had come into possession of the arrowhead right at the beginning of the film which essentially was to find the great tree of healing i i forget the name of the tree essentially right. though that's the premise right and so uh, she she herself her character sorry is uh, dr lily hutton and she is on a mission to change the world because she wants to get to the tree so that she can design medicine to help everybody and and such not but of course there's always others who want to use it for their own good and all that stuff and of course this one just happens to have a nazi in it who is also racing for it and then there's also the mystical spanish conquistador don Iguere, who was the first one to get to the tree before being cursed to damnation by becoming a part of the tree or become a part of the jungle the jungle would eat you if you got too close it's just a mishmash of stuff going on and the first introduction to the rock kind of went as poorly as i had hoped it wouldn't have uh <laughs> with cheesy jokes and oh uh, one-liners and yeah, I had heard action. I had heard negative negative things about this movie. And right. so I was already going in with a mindset that I am probably not going to like this movie. Hmm. And I overall I I thought it wasn't bad. It was like, it, it was I, fun I, like Yeah, you know, I just got away from the mindset that I'm about to see an epic movie and that started thinking okay this this is a movie that's based on a ride at disney let's just go along for the ride yeah literally and and figuratively yeah Yeah. so like as 
as cheesy as the the jokes were from from the rock you know uh, it kind of set up his character yeah it was it was a weird i had, it was a weird storyline and i don't remember what the storyline was from the ride of the jungle cruise mm-hmm. unfortunately and it's probably very much tied to t- tied yeah. to the movie i would think but it you know, I, I need to go on to YouTube and watch one of those videos where somebody takes you along. The, the spoiler. Or the behind yeah, the scenes. This, yes, exactly. Well, uh, just before we started the show or as we were talking, started talking in the show today, I uh, did a quick little glimpse just to see about the, and one of the things that I noticed right off the top is the, the way Disney likes to do this and the way they presented the opening bit with The Rock making those like one-liner jokes and all that stuff. And I was sitting there, I bet you that's exactly how the jokes go when you're on the cruise, you know, the skipper driving you around on the boat. And yeah, I'm is sure it exactly, is. I- and yes, through the quick read. Yes. It's a, pretty much the same jokes that the, uh, these jokes, these one-liners, these dad, dad jokes or puns are part of the jungle cruise experience. So I almost, I, I actually like believed that, while I was watching and going, this sounds like something that they're, it's almost like a Disney self-promotional tool. It's like, well, you can't come down to Disney world right now because of COVID, but we'll so bring it to you. We'll bring, we'll bring the jungle cruise to you. We'll bring the bad joke. Don't you worry. So yeah, that's right. You know yeah. what? Leave the bad jokes to us. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we, we are jokes. I mean, uh, whoa. anyway, whoa, whoa. Anyway, I've like, okay. As a once sort run through, it was okay for most part. Uh, I could see it as be a, a cute family film. And I I know my wife will probably watch it a couple of times because she really likes these kind of cheesy Disney corny flicks. And I mean, you know, who doesn't love The Rock, right? Like, oh, exactly. He can do no wrong. That's right. I'll tell you though, and it's really hard. It was a little predictable at times. So without too many spoilers, uh, that the cheetah that shows up in the uh, the bar while he's negotiating and yeah. conniving and up to no good and shenanigans and stuff like that. And a cheetah comes walking in the bar and I say, okay, that cheetah is a plant there by the Rock's character. He's going to use this to finagle his way into the situation. And yeah, I was right. Sure enough. (laughs) Yeah, sure enough. It was almost a little too predictable. The whole backstory with the Aguere, the explorer, the conquistador, Don Aguere. I just thought it was not necessary to bring him back as a whatever monster tied to the river that he was. I thought it was cheesy, unnecessary, and they could have just left the lore of Don Aguere as, you know, kind of like a, a Goonies type thing. You know, where they they're looking for one eyed Willie. Right. And they they run into his skeleton and they could have just left it like at that. And to me, that would have been a little more suitable instead of going the whole cheesy special effects route, which I mean, Mm -hmm. the special effects were pretty damn good, though. Yeah, no, they they were. I'm just wondering if they could have still had the the storyline of the Rock's character because just because of how who he was inter- supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. who he's supposed to be, how intertwined he was with the conquistador, you know, well, or if or if it would have had if it would have changed the story. And I'm not sure if that was if that was actually the story from the ride. You know, that's possible. That's quite possible. Maybe that's what they they did and why they did it that way. But I mean, they could have even, again, no spoilers. They could have just left that bit out of it too. They could have just made him a scallywag yeah, and not a, you know, and that, you know, like the typical movie, the typical Disney movie, the typical rom-com where, you know, this 
bad guy, you know, has a turn of heart and becomes the, you know, the good guy mm-hmm. in the end. And, you know, they could have just left it at that, but. Yep. And yeah. Yeah. No, no. I also, uh, one thing that kind of bugged me too was Paul Giamatti, his role as Nilo Nemolato, the Colonel Sanders type character that owned the riverboat, the, the riverboat owner who oh. was taking, always taking Dwayne Johnson. Frank Wolf is uh, Dwayne Johnson's character, the name in the movie. The way he was just, he was so overboard, over the top, and really just uninteresting and annoying. I found him to be like almost, I don't know. Was a, I think it was a side story, you know. Oh. For sure, you know, for sure. It wasn't a big part of the movie, but you, you need those little characters to come in now, like to kind of build the story and to for the fact that it's actually him playing the part was yeah. kind of cool, but it he was definitely playing him over the top. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you obviously, yeah, absolutely have a heel, you know, a character that nobody likes right off the get-go, but mm-hmm. I mean, they tried so hard to make him unlikable that it was too much and you're just like no yeah yeah yeah. he's just an why is he on the screen and even so like you know the scene where he loses his business kind of thing you know just like oh it was like a really well put together adam sandler movie (laughs) that's what i really felt this movie was feel sorry for emily blunt just because she's a great actress i don't feel sorry for the rock because he likes he puts himself he's in everything yeah exactly he He puts himself out there and you know makes the best of whatever character is that that he's given yeah i want one other thing i'll just say to the way he looked it's just it's silly uh he's just (laughs) he's a he's a monster of a man and he's supposed to look like some old timey because this is set back in what in the 40 well obviously the nazis so it's set back in the 30s and 40s Mm -hmm. and there is no such thing as a man like him back then and it just seemed (laughs) and and he's supposed to be some scallywag captain of a ship you know that ties into the storyline much larger than life i guess in a way but when he really is larger than life it just he seems so out of place yeah i mean now having said that though they weren't taking advantage of his build by having him walk around without his shirt on True. He was all like he was always in costume. He he and wasn't he wasn't a piece of meat. No, <laughs> no, he wasn't being used yeah, as a piece of meat. Eye candy appeal. Had <laughs> <laughs> to touch on one positive thing. I kind of liked what they did with McGregor Hutton, who was Emily's brother. Yep, and they kind of the little bit of a swerve, and I don't know. I guess I'll, I'll spoil it a little bit. Is that you discover uh, halfway through the movie that he was gay, and he's been he would have been persecuted had he come out and married who he was supposed to marry and all that stuff. And so he, this is why he was by his sister's side, even though he was vastly different than his sister. And when he joined, yeah, him I on thought the cruise, it made it a nice piece to the, like a nice yeah. addition to the storyline. Yeah. And it kind of showed it. it they, they kind of tied it into the times, you know, the, the mm-hmm. era of the film. And I kind of like that. Uh, I don't, I think it, might have felt a little forced but i think it it kind of endeared his character because his character was a little annoying at first you know being the the snooty rich white man and then to have him come out as gay a little later it actually gave him like a a side for you to empathize with or to sympathize and that was helpful and i think kind of redeemed his character i love the fact that frank didn't care kind of yeah Yeah. okay well here have a drink 
Yeah, absolutely. Right. And uh, then it kind of made the threesome uh, of of Emily Blunt, The Rock and Jack Whitehall was the character who portrayed McGregor and made those characters kind of OK. Now they kind of work as a unit and he's not just a tag along. And uh, it's yeah, pretty cool like, there. I'll probably watch the movie again. It will be a while before I see it, but I didn't hate the movie. Let's yeah. just say that. Which is fair. Yeah, I will. I will most undoubtedly watch the movie again uh, as my wife plays it in the background while I'm doing something else. <laughs> <laughs> well, there um, we go. We got a almost a thumbs down and a very mediocre rating. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we're we're kind of on the mediocre with uh, it was fun, but cheesy. How how, how about we say yeah, that? Yeah, fun, there we go. Fun but cheesy. And yeah, okay. Yeah, I give that. that three cheesies out of five. Right. Okay. Sounds good. So it's like you know, people will enjoy it, but don't expect you know Oscar contention here. No, not <laughs> at all. Okay. So our finale for the night: Shang Chi and the Legend of Ten Rings. Shang Chi. Shang Chi. Sean. Sean. Sean Chi. Shang. Shang. S H A N G. You changed your name from Shang. To Sean? No wonder they <laughs> couldn't find you until now. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So, first of all, mad props to the main character, play Sean Shang-Chi, played by Simu Liu. I apologize if I butcher these names. I am not the best at reading Chinese, but big props to him as a Canadian. So big Canadian uh, actor who he emigrated from China when he was five years old, but he's also a, is an Emmy or he's, he's won awards for something or his shows that he won. Cause he was on, was he on the, um, I want to say corner gas, but I know it wasn't that. What was the show that he was on the Canadian TV show? Oh, I don't show? know what he was on. I didn't know much. Uh, about Kim's him. convenience. Kim's convenience. Oh, no way. Which was like a, a, a massive. Uh, I knew I recognized them. Yeah. I just didn't know from where. Canadian I didn't screen- watch. Watch Sorry, a ahead. lot of I didn't watch a lot of Kim's Convenience. So. I, I did not either, but uh, I know that it was a super popular show and they won a, or the sorry, they were not, he was nominated as a Canadian Screen Award for a Canadian Screen Award for his role in CBC sitcom Kim's Convenience. Hmm. So bad props to that. But now I throw it to you, Andrew. What are your thoughts on Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings? At first, I'll be honest, I, I was totally thrown off because I don't know what settings I used when I hit play, but the first 10 minutes were all in Mandarin and <laughs> I had no subtitles. And like, I, like, I'm honestly going to my phone and trying to figure this out. Like, is this whole movie in Mandarin? Was, you know what? I think actually they did a version in Mandarin, I believe. But I'm anyway. Let me not interrupt you. Well, anyway, so my son at least came in and altered the the settings on it, so at least I could see the the subtitles in the beginning. But it wasn't until like the nine fifty five point that they actually started to speak English through through the movie. You Bit are of a tongue a, twister. You are a boomer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I laugh as I had to get uh, my wife and daughter to help me set up my television in the uh, in the uh, shop uh, yeah. <laughs> as I attached a Google dongle to it. Uh, yeah. And- no, but so but after that, I thought it was a fun movie. It was a good adventure movie. I loved I loved the fight scene on the bus. Let's talk right. about that a bit. 
wasn't that fantastic so, yeah yeah so like it was fantastic. first off it's your first introduction to the fact that he knows martial arts yeah and that he's actually been trained as an elite killer yeah ascended as an assassin by his father uh who was the lord of the ten rings or commanding the uh the ten rings organization with the power of the ten rings and yeah that was pretty cool because i wasn't even sure how they were going to kind of explain it and all that stuff or how they're going to build up to it for nerd's sake movie had nothing to do with the original comic book storyline no uh and I grew up reading Master Kung Fu as a child, and it was one of my favorite books. But honestly, to be fair, I don't remember a lot of it. All I know is that he was the son of Fu Manchu, and so clearly he's not the son of Fu Manchu anymore in the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe. But yeah, what a great fight scene, the way it was orchestrated. And I love that his best friend, she doesn't even know that he knows martial arts, that he knows yeah. Kung Fu. Yeah. And all of a sudden he's thrown into this situation where he's got guys coming after him one after another and he blows up that bus and he's throwing these guys all over the place he's going through windows he's you know popping up to the the roof swinging down through doors it was just a fantastic introduction to the fact that he actually knows kung fu yeah and not and only the- knows it but he's a master of and, and the movie was, yeah, like the movie did a really good job. And I, I think this was kind of like the Black Panther for Asians and the Chinese. And I, I know that, that the movie was specifically made for the Chinese audience. Yeah. And I, I love it because, I mean, it was great, especially for people like you and, you and I, who are big fans of the old martial arts chop sake flicks. And I thought that this was a great tribute to that. And it had its level of fantasy and kind of, I would say over the top, but it wasn't really that over the top. Like it it still felt real and down to earth and was part of the Marvel universe, Marvel cinematic universe. Yeah. I mean, once you got to the, the rings now that was over the top, but Uh, absolutely. I I, like, I love the way that, Oh, how, how, the the power, let's call it the power. I love the way, the power was used of the 10 rings. Yeah. It was almost like it was just like an extension of the bearer yeah. by throwing his punches just made, it was like, almost like, okay, so you threw that punch. You're just a normal dude and it might you know hurt somebody, but now you're throwing a punch like Bruce Lee and you're absolutely destroying the person on the other end of that punch. And it, it made for some great battle scenes for sure. But they, what I liked about it is that they weren't the super focus of it all. The focus really was about, you know, family and, you know, power and how power can corrupt and destroy a family. And uh, it was, it was really endearing. And then to see too, like it gave, so the way they kind of portrayed uh, Zhu Wenwu, so uh, uh, Sean's father, they, obviously he was a badass, but then the reason that he really became the badass was because you know his wife had died and it was just a or like he was now having said that though he was the original badass but then after meeting his wife that's when when he, he had settled up the use yeah. of the 10 rings he wasn't so focused on power, power and, and domination mm-hmm. and essentially just became a peaceful man yeah but when she died he, then... he fell back into his ways and the mm-hmm. heart the heartbreak ruptured his heart again and he was off to send his son to 
find out. But at the, in the end, though, too, like, I mean, it was about sending his son off to assassinate his mother's murderer. So, I mean, there was still some heart behind, you know, his motives at that time, right? Which he didn't have prior. Now, I know that Shang-Chi, that he was raised as a killer, but I still can't get past the idea at the age of 14 that he was actually sent out on his first mission. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. You know, like, do, doesn't that seem a little young? I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he apparently did his job, though. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh was that a spoiler? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I thought one of, the, one, of, <laughs> one of my favorite parts, okay, I had a couple of favorite parts in the movie. Uh, obviously, the bus scene was, was one of them. Mm-hmm. Aquafina, so who was play portrayed Katie, Sean's best friend. What I love was that she was the whitest person there. <laughs> she, she was so white and it was hilarious like yeah she she had no idea like when they went to when they went to uh, china and it was just hilarious how she's like uh okay i don't know what you're saying my chinese <laughs> isn't very good yeah and it was just it was just so funny she was i was worried when i'd seen her in the trailer and i'd seen her kind of briefly in a couple spots here but it's usually like a an interview or an award show or something i'm like who the fuck is this and she looks like she'd be annoying as hell and while her character was a little annoying she played it really well and she played it hilariously so i was actually really impressed with her role in the movie and the the character that she portrayed as a a friend and a confidant -confidant, yeah i I I became a little bit more endeared to her as the movie went along yeah in the beginning i found that she was a little bit annoying Mm-hmm. but as as the movie went along she grew on me yeah i was so super excited when i saw michelle yao walk onto the screen uh, <laughs> as uh, aunt uh, nan a uh, ying nan mm-hmm. i thought that was great i love michelle yao from you know i mean and I, th- this movie kind of is shows some influence from crouching tiger hidden dragon mm-hmm. back in the day especially with the fight scene between Zhu Wenwu and Lee who Lee is uh Simu uh, sorry Simu Law who's uh Sean's mother so it was really cool to see I guess I don't know is it a tribute or is it just did that whole fight sequence between him and her where they're kind of doing the whole floating through the air thing and these over exaggerated maneuvers and stuff like that uh, kung fu or karate maneuvers I guess it was kung fu it, Shang-Chi is the master of Kung Fu. So it was cool to kind of see a little bit of a tribute and then to have Michelle Yao show up on the screen mm-hmm. a few scenes later. I thought that was just fantastic. Yeah, no, very, very cool. Very yeah. cool. I really loved the movie essentially from, from start to finish after I, you know, figured out what I was watching and how yeah. I needed to be watching it so I could understand it. Mm-hmm. But no, I, I thought it was that was a really well done movie i thought it was a a great introduction to this character from the marvel universe and And a character that not like not too many people really know about exactly like i mean he's he's got a very vivid fan base in the comic book collecting universe but not the modern so not this version of him so much is that the original version is a fantastic character that a lot of people love. And he certainly looks like a 70s kung fu guy on the comic book page. But mm-hmm. where this one is a little more modern and doesn't look quite... He certainly looks more modern for sure and not quite so 70s. Oh, completely. And so it was. Uh, it's, it's still cool to see. But I think people have never hated the newer version of him. I think everybody just loves... They love Shang-Chi and they always kind of followed him. 
So it was really great to see that they made this transition to the new character and people followed along and loved it. And I think most people that you talk to absolutely love this movie. And I think it was also a great introduction and to the phase four of the Marvel's cinematic universe. So now we've moved beyond the Avengers and moving towards a younger Avengers team or a multicultural Avengers team now. Mm-hmm. So it's it'll be great to see. And they did manage to tie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because this could have been a standalone story without any ties to Marvel's universe, the Marvel Universe. But they managed to squeeze in just a couple little things. So let's talk about how we joined in with some of the other characters. Right. So first of all, we have Trevor Slattery, played by Ben Kingsley, who was the Mandarin mimic, the actor who portrays, uh, who is supposed to be Zhu Wenwu, the person who actually was him back in Iron Man. I think I can't remember if it was Iron Man 2 or Iron Man 3 where he was introduced, but it is just funny that they kind of bring him into it. Mm-hmm. And so you have to know, really know, I think you have to know your Marvel lore, your Marvel cinematic lore to remember where Ben Kingsley comes in. Mm -hmm. But the fact that they make him just a mockery of a character, it continues to be funny (laughs) and not, not to be over the top kind of like in the previous movie, we talked about jungle cruise. Yeah. Uh, So he was kind of fun in that. So that's the, the first tie-in and then the second tie-in was Wong from the Dr. Strange movies. I know. I thought that was fantastic. And the other great thing to see in there, and I don't know how much you know of the Marvel Universe in regards to the character that Wong was fighting in the cage matches. Uh, Wong was fighting a character they call Abomination, who is actually one see, of... See, I didn't know that character. Right. So he is one of the Hulk's bigger enemies. And if I remember correctly, he is also a Fantastic Four enemy. So it's a good way to possibly see the future of the Hulk and maybe Fantastic Four being tied into, because I believe they're all coming into the, well, I mean, did they not also, right, did they not also have a couple appearances from the original Avengers in this movie as well? I don't know. Wasn't Captain Marvel and Dr. Oh, yeah, 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 sorry. Dr. Banner showed up, right? Totally, yes, yes. And I'm just trying to remember where that, where did that happen? That was at the very end and Ooh. essentially kind of welcoming him into, oh, as into the new, Marvel Universe. Yes, as a, <laughs> a, a new Avenger, I guess, right? Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> right. I forgot about, I was trying to remember. I just remember them now. I popped in my head. And it was nice also to see that Captain Marvel had more than one expression. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> now she has two. Now she has two expressions. And uh, yeah, but Wong and to see, uh, t- yeah, to, sorry, to see Wong show up. Uh, yeah, that was Wong was really my favorite yeah favorite character that that actually came out of the the marvel universe so yeah but he fit totally in with this movie and so uh, I, I thought yeah. it, i thought it was a great way to introduce him yeah because that was my biggest question coming into this movie before i'd known anything about the film is that how are they going to tie this into the phase four and then you know like they're they throw out the trailer for the eternals and they put the eternals movie out there and i'm going Oh, Shang-Chi is not really an eternal. He's not really part of that scene. He's certainly mm-hmm. no God, right? Like, or whatever, whatever the eternals are. He's certainly not one of those guys. Yeah. So how does he fit into this whole new Marvel Cinematic Universe? And I, I thought, oh, maybe it's possible that they're pandering towards a just 
the Asian market with this. Maybe they're trying to kind of smoothen over the relationship with China by having this film. But, you know, I'm putting a political spin on it that isn't necessary because the movie was just a great, outstanding movie. I don't know. And I think they've they managed think to Disney tie it in. has a big cult following in China. For sure. For sure. They absolutely do. So, but I'm glad that they were able to kind of tie everything in. Mm-hmm. And now... Actually, this makes me more excited for the phase four than Eternals did. And I haven't even watched Eternals yet, but I almost wonder if you even need to see the Eternals now that you've seen (laughs) Shang-Chi. Well, maybe, maybe the Eternals will be a subject for another show, another show, (laughs) another episode of how to survive the modern world or Gen X isn't just a fashion statement. How to Survive the Modern World or Gen X isn't just a fashion statement, has partnered with Patreon. So you can help support the podcast for as little as $3 a month and get access to exclusive content. Visit patreon.com forward slash how to survive the modern world to see how you can become a pod pal or even the pod god. <laughs>